Well, folks, I'm really excited today to have on my guest. He is long overdue, and many of you are going to be so excited. I get so many requests for this guest. We're so blessed to have him back on the program. It is the voice of evangelism, Pastor David Langford. I'm so thrilled to have you on today, sir. Thank you for coming on. It's quite a joy. We're always here to share the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring forth an uncompromising word from his word, because his word will stand when heaven and earth passes away. Amen. So agree. Well, when David, you wrote Revelation 13 Revealed, I don't think you could have ever imagined how timely that book was when you wrote it. That book came out in 2013. I remember I had you on my program. We talked about it. Everything in Revelation 13 and the book of Revelation is really coalescing. you got heresy, the false prophets. You know, you said something on a show you and I did with Steve Quayle over a decade ago, and I've never forgot this. You said in the last days, people will go ravening mad. Madness is the order of the day. Apostasy is off the charts. This bumbling fool Biden, what's happening with China, the Pope just met with the head of the Islamic world. I mean, the reactor rods are all going off. Everything's coalescing. We are smack dab in the book of Revelation. Well, absolutely. That's really what Daniel 12 and 4 really is addressing. We've really misquoted that and been misrepresentative in that passage of Scripture where the Bible said, Sell up the book even till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. If you look at that in the Hebrew context, it means that they're going to run to and fro. And when it talks about knowledge, the knowledge is increased in sin, thus they apostatize. Once you apostatize, there's no coming back. The root word is post. You've left your post, so there's no returning. Uh, in the army, the military, that's treason and worthy of execution. So here in the last days, we're witnessing a plethora. Number one, Jesus said, many false prophets will arise and shall deceive many. And of course, you've probably heard me say 98% of the time when you hear or read the word many, it's in a negative application. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Paul said, we are not as many which corrupt the gospel of God. Wide is the gate, broad is the way, and many there be which go in thereat. So when you hear or read the word many in the Bible, it has a negative application connotation. And so just because someone today says they are a Christian doesn't mean that they are. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And regrettably, we are encroaching the time of the end. You know, we've heard much about the vaccine. Uh, Let me say this unequivocally. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. If it is the mark of the beast, then please give me the name and the number. Now, I'm not going to argue the point that there's nanotechnology that they can alter you, the person, But when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 13, and he talks about those receiving a mark, the word mark there is har agama, and it means a scratch or an etching. I don't know, Sheila, if you're old enough, but I had the smallpox vaccine, and the smallpox vaccine was literally a scratching or an etching on our left upper arm. Now, I've searched and searched and I've searched, and I can't find any documentation as to why they chose the left 
other than they said most people are right-handed. They know the vaccine is going to make your arm sore, uh, maybe somewhat incapable of using it like you could before the vaccine as far as the soreness, the forming of the scab, etc. And they chose the left arm because most people are right-handed. But I know in my heart, though I can't document it, they knew the outcry would be off the charts if they put it on the right arm. Because the Bible does say right hand or forehead concerning the mark of the beast. In the 30s, when they implemented the Social Security number. I remember my grandparents telling me personally, my grandfather was born in 1900, my grandmother was born in 1905, and there was such a public outcry when they issued that number. I still have my Social Security card when I was 12 years old. I went to work when I was 12. And it says on the Social Security card, because of the public outcry, not for identification purposes, taxes only. Well, they lied. Because now we know it is an identification number here in the end. But they put the smallpox vaccine on the upper left arm to try to negate any outcry of it being on the right arm. But the Bible is clear. The word mark here is number 5480 in your strong exhaustive concordance. And as I said, it means a scratching or an etching, thus symbolizing a badge of servitude. And so... We're witnessing the technology getting us there. The word the Lord gave me, 2012, acceleration. Everything would begin to accelerate, and thus it is. But it's the same meaning in Ezekiel chapter 9. Before God brought judgment on Jerusalem, he says to the angel, Ezekiel 9 and 2, And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the Lord was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to a man clothed with linen, which had a rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the city in the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So there was an etching, a mark. Now, that was a spiritual mark. Only the angel, the destroying angels, could see that mark and knew to pass over, just like the blood uh, at the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. So we're getting there. The technology is there. And I know uh, a lot of people are saying the vaccine is the mark of the beast, but I want people to understand this. This is on the same scale of Judas Iscariot. Anyone that takes the mark of the beast is going to know exactly what they've done because, it, see, it eternally damns you. It eternally separates you from God. And you'll not take the mark of the beast not knowing, misunderstanding, not aware as to what you have done. It's like Judas Iscariot. After he had betrayed Christ in uh, Matthew 27, 4, he comes back into the temple where the, the chief priests, the elders, or Pharisees, and he says... I have betrayed the innocent blood. I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. So he knew what he had done. Of course, he throws the 30 pieces of silver on the floor, and, of course, they go and buy the potter's field to bury strangers in because now that was blood money. So you're not going to be in a coma or be in the hospital and take an inoculation because God is not the kind of God that says, I got you, I tricked you, I snared you. That's the, that's the enemy that tricks us and snares us, not God so there's a lot of fear-mongering going on out there. But this mark, name, or number is based upon fundamentally one thing. You can't buy or you can't sell. Now, we know already with this vaccine, they may want a certificate 
there's a, I think an Asian airline the other day said they want a certification whether or not you can fly on their plane or not. But flying on that plane has nothing to do with buying or selling unless you want to talk about a plane ticket. But as far as food and groceries and paying your light bill, your mortgage, etc., it doesn't address that. So these are prototypes of what's coming. But we will know, we will know without a doubt, just like we know when we sin. We have a good conscience. We understand I know what I'm doing is wrong. I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, that's how you develop a seared conscience, by overriding the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and doing what we truly know is not right. So it's all being put in order. It's all being put in place. The structure is putting is being put there. Even in China, no one pays anything with, with cash or checks. They do it all on their phones now. So they're more modernized than we are in America in that aspect. But it's coming. But people need to understand, once you take the mark of the beast, you have sealed your doom eternally. The sad thing is, you cannot come back. You cross through that spiritual membrane, and you can't get back to God because you have sealed your doom by your decision. I do really like that word prototype, but I also believe this is stage one of the full-on mark, pressing that thermometer to your forehead, taking temperature on your hand. You can't buy or sell certain things already because of the vaccine passport. you got to get vaccine. I mean, if that isn't acclimating us, is that not a precursor, a prototype, a stage, a layer? I think there's going to be lots of layers to this thing. Stage one, we'll get you all acclimated, we'll get you wearing a mask, we'll get you in fear, you're going to die of a deadly plague. Step two, you'll get boosters and upgrades and the transhumanism, as I cover in my book. So I think this is all stages and layers, but I think we're in stage one of the mark. I don't know how many stages there is to the full-on mark, but it's definitely something to absolutely avoid people. And it just angers me, guys, like Franklin Graham. Jesus would have taken the COVID vax. Uh, Jesus didn't believe in leprosy or death, for that matter, Franklin. So I doubt he'd take a product that has not been licensed, has no liability, causes death in animal trials, used aborted babies to develop, manufactured by pharma companies who pay billions in lawsuits for lying about safety, and that's not even getting started on the MNRA. You've got all these pastors out there, absolute wolves in sheep's clothing. I just heard a pastor the other day say, hey, you know what, if you commit suicide, you know, it gets too much to bear. God will understand. And the ones that aren't going to line up for this job, well, kumbaya, we're out of here next week because we're all getting raptured out of here. I mean, there's such a famine in the land for the word of God because the absolute twisting of the scripture and the indoctrination it's right off the charts. Well, absolutely. Indoctrination is a powerful thing. You know, I was indoctrinated as a, as a little boy, pre-tribulation rapture. That's what I was taught. My grandparents believed it. My parents believed it. I was taught it. I taught it to my children. But, you know, my testimony in 94, I went on a 40-day fast and got up my eyes and said, hey, that is absolutely not true. And I went through much severity and suffering because I took a stand that we are misrepresenting the truth. Of course, I was ordained minister in the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee. But I eventually surrendered. I, I turned in my license. Now, they tried to take them on two separate occasions, but God would not tolerate that because of my obedience. I took the licks. I took the stand. They put together an ecclesiastical trial board to try me, and on two separate occasions, one of them, the first one, one of my members died, and his funeral was going to be on Wednesday at 1 o'clock. My trial was Wednesday at 10 o'clock. 
And through that intervention, I told the gentleman who was there, the state officer, I said, I'm not going to be there at your trial. One of my members has passed away. I'm going to preach his funeral. This is not a sin issue in my life. This is a doctrinal issue. This is a difference in doctrine, the theological eschatology, not sin. And God dissolved that through his mighty power. And when it came to the appropriate time, I folded up my papers and wrote a letter and set them in of mine and God's will and volition, not on theirs. But you see, indoctrination makes people believe things that are just simply not true. But the Bible is clear. The Bible is unmistakably clear in Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, same word, in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture under the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now remember, there's three ways we people can receive this, mark, name, or number. So when people try to tell me, well, the vaccine, that's it, okay? You're adamant, that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right, give me the name and the number. See, nobody can give me that. We've gotten away so far from the simplicity, the simple word of God. And another misnomer, it's not the Antichrist who implements the mark of the beast. It's the false prophet. And I hear every jack-leg prophecy teacher say, Antichrist, mark of the beast. It's not the Antichrist. It is the undergirding of the religious world, who I believe is the Pope, is going to be the one to implement that. And not only that, he implements the desire to create an image, a statue, like unto the Antichrist. That's Matthew 24:15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, that's what will be in parentheses in most of your Bibles, the last phrase, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Well, you, hear, you have people say, well, there'll be no third temple. I know people, you know people who are, are adamant, there'll be no third temple. Well, then how will Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 be fulfilled when Paul said about the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now we know that temple is going to be built according to Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Now, let me bring out a very valid point. The ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ, knows nothing of a physical altar. Now, we can make an altar in our office, in our bedroom, in our kitchen, in our car, in our shop, in a barn. But this altar is a specific altar according to the temple that will soon be built over there in Jerusalem. And so he says measure the altar. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. The outer court is given to the Gentiles. That's us. If you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. And that was the prophecy 
in Matthew 21, verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles and until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The key word there is until. Why is that important? Because that lines up with Romans 9. Blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles or the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So Jesus says in Luke 21, 24, And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so that's exactly, I think I said chapter 9, I was wrong. It's, it's a Romans eleven twenty-five. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become. So Luke twenty-one twenty-four, Romans eleven twenty-five. the key words there are until. We will record this program until we are finished. What does that mean? Something is going to change once the until is fulfilled, which is the kairos, karios, when something else that's been foreordained has to take place. It's not the chronos, it's not the succession, one, two, three, four, five, but that until is the chronos, but when you get to the end of the until, now something is going to change. I will work at the post office until December the 25th. What does that mean? Until that 25th time arrives, that's where I'm at. After that, I'm going somewhere else. This is where we are. So again, that part of the temple, the outer court, is given to the Gentiles. How long? 42 months, 1260 days, time, times, and the dividing of time. So there will be a temple so that, that what Jesus said in Matthew 24:15 and what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, so those scriptures can be literally, physically fulfilled. Of course, people don't understand when you spiritualize something, you symbolize something, or you literalize something. And we have to know and be spiritually mature enough when to do one of those three things. For instance, Revelation 19, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Do we actually believe we're going to see a, a piece of metal coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ on the great white stallion? No. Hebrews 4.12, The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing sunder of a soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So there again, symbolic. Out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, but his word is as a sharp sword. So here again, we, we need spiritual maturity when to symbolize, spiritualize, or literalize what is being said in the scripture text. Absolutely, and very well said. And But let's not forget there's two events. Well, there's a couple of events that are going to occur at the same time, Pastor David. The first event is going to obviously be, it alludes to the daily sacrifice. We also see that there's going to be a revelation of the Antichrist. And then it looks like almost like a third sequence of events that Daniel, we read in Daniel 12.1 about Michael the Archangel. So it almost looks like Michael's the restrainer. Do I have that right? Yes. The Great Tribulation has absolutely nothing to do with the wrath of God. These are two separate events. So, Pastor, get into how Revelation 12 and Thessalonians 2, I think it's 7, ties in with Daniel 12, 1, please. Okay, Daniel 12 and 1, that specifically says, he's talking about an appointed time. At that time 
shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book, meaning the book of life. Okay, when it says at that time Michael shall stand up, the Hebrew says he mounts up or he ascends up. He's the restrainer. Now, he ascends up. Where does he go? He goes into heaven, and he starts war with Satan, Revelation 12 and 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Victory begins around the throne of God. And so we see there in Revelation 12 and 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is salvation or deliverance and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God night and day let me throw out a, a little measure of insight here if the church is in heaven what is Satan's reason and purpose for accusing us before God if we're in heaven we're not there yet so he continues to accuse us because we're not there but once Michael defeats Satan and his angels they are then cast and confined. They are imprisoned on the face of the earth. Now Satan is full of unfathomable rage, which is the great tribulation. Revelation 12 and 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Why are, we, why are the, the saints that's going on rejoicing? Satan now cannot falsely accuse us because he can no longer get access to the throne of God. So now he's filled with rage because God is going to imprison him on the earth. Thus, verse 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, going back to what you said in Second Thessalonians 2, 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. I find it comical in that one minute, Prophecy teachers say the church here is he. But in the next minute, they say the church is the bride of Christ. Yeah. So make up your mind, guys. Is it a he or a she? Make up your mind. Well, the he here is Michael. And obviously, the church at Thessalonica knew who it was, according to verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, let's go back to Daniel 10:21. Daniel is fasting and praying. The demon, the prince of Persia, was holding the answer. Gabriel prays that he can get help. And Michael is the restrainer. He's the one that helps Israel to this day. Gabriel's known as the messenger angel because he brings Mary, the mother of Jesus, a messenger. So Gabriel's known as the messenger angel. Michael is known as the warring angel. So Gabriel says to Daniel in Daniel 10, 21, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. Now, that is profound, because before the word of God was inspired, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7, Gabriel is already decreeing that the word of God is already settled in heaven. And he says, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So before Paul was inspired to pen that, the word of God was already settled in heaven. And, and Gabriel knew it, and thus he quotes from it. 
He that holdeth, same phrase Paul talks about here, the Antichrist is being held back for the mystery of iniquity that's already worked. Only he who now liveth will let until he be taken out of the way. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So it's there, it's in the scriptures, and yet people will argue it. And a final point here in Second Thessalonians 2 while we're here, if the church is not here, why in verse 5 does Paul say, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things. If the church is not here, why is the church, the church of Thessalonica, the body of Christ, why are they told to remember the protocol, the sequence of events here in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 4? It's because we're going to be here, and so Paul says, I want you to remember these things while I was yet with you. That makes no sense the other way around. And we have something really interesting, and I'm going to tie it into something you just said, because if you look in Revelation 13, 6, there's something interesting, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Now, when you look that up in the Greek, it's 988, I wrote that down in the Greek. I mean, that is literally, Pastor David, the worst type of slander possible. Take that into Revelation 13, 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. The Bible doesn't really delineate between tribulation saints or other saints. So that kind of ties in too, doesn't it? Absolutely. That phrase, tribulation saints, is a made-up phrase. You will not find the word tribulation in front of saints in the Bible. That's men twisting the scriptures to their own destruction and damnation, Second uh, Peter three sixteen seventeen. The word is rest, W-R-E-S-T, and it means to twist it. So they're twisting the scriptures to fit their own scenario. I was told all my life, those are tribulation saints. So I began to look for tribulation saints. And guess what? You never find the phrase tribulation saints. It does say in Revelation 7, these are they which came out of great tribulation. But it never says tribulation saints. So again, it's a misappropriation, a twisting of the Holy Scriptures. And when it says in Daniel 7:25, he shall speak great words against the Most High, that word great there in the Hebrews talking about blasphemous words. It's the greatest ridicule, castigation that one could use. And another misnomer is, the Antichrist is not the personification. He's neither the embodiment of the devil. How do we know for sure? Second Thessalonians 2.9. Even him, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan. Satan is an angel. He cannot, be, he cannot possess a body. A demon can, but angels can. Now, they can influence. When, when it says in John 13.27 that Satan entered into Judas... He didn't physically enter in him. That deed of betrayal entered into him. And that's why Jesus said, what you do, you go and you go do quickly. And he went out and he sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. So that's what that means there. Uh, Satan is not going to possess a man. But a man is going to wholly yield himself, just like Jesus was wholly yielded to his father, so the man of sin will yield himself to his father, the devil. And just like the devil, John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, a not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So this man will be the greatest representation of the devil that's ever seen. You know, Adolf Hitler was, a, was, was very much a likeness of, of the man of sin, the son of perdition. But he was not, but he had all the elements of who the Bible said. But Israel wasn't even a, a nation at that point. 
But I remember my grandparents talking to me about that. Because in World War II, they were in their 30s and 40s. Everybody thought Hitler was the Antichrist because he was the Holocaust, killing the Jews. But, you know, and here's one of the greatest problems I've come to understand in Bible prophecy. Every generation tries to make Bible prophecy fit their time frame, and you can't do that. That's what you're, you're this is rhetorical, you're twisting it, you're refashioning it, you're trying to reshape it to fit your scenario. I'm telling you, it was in the 30s. My grandparents, you know, were godly people, but they all thought that was the mark of the beast. That's been 90-some years ago, but it wasn't. But I remember in 86 when my first child was born, I went the next year to do my income taxes. The lady says, where's your daughter's Social Security number? I don't have one. Well, you'll get by now, but you'll need to get her a number. Well, in 89, when Wesley, my second child, was born, when I left the hospital, they handed me his card. So from 86 to 89, in three years, not only did they not give me one in 86, but they gave me one in 89 when I left. And then I got one in 92, and I got another one in 96 from, from my other two children. So see how it progresses? It's methodical. See, we're headed in that direction, but I want people to be careful. You know, everybody's looking for the revelation of the Antichrist. There will be no revelation of the Antichrist until you see the ten kings get their crowns and establish that ten-kingdom confederation. Now, that's Revelation 17, and that's Revelation 12, and Revelation 13, and 1. Seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns. But in Revelation 12 and 3, we see seven heads, ten horns, but the seven crowns. You see the difference? In Revelation 13, 1, you got seven heads, but you got ten crowns or ten horns. You have the ten horns in Revelation 12, but they don't have the crowns yet. The seven crowns in Revelation 12 address the seven satanic dispensational kingdoms. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, Rome. That's what uh, John was talking about there in Revelation chapter 17, verse 10, when he said, there are seven kings, five are fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece. Five are fallen. One is. That was Rome. That makes six. The other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. So we're waiting for the seventh head with the seventh crown. That's Revelation 12 and 3. Once that comes to fruition, we're now waiting for the revelation of the Antichrist. But before he is revealed, you'll see that ten horns on that seventh head with the ten crowns. I look at it like a pincushion. And out of the midst of the middle of the pincushion, the ten pens, the ten horns, the ten crowns, a little horn comes up. That's the Antichrist. And he will only have power for 42 months. That's Revelation 13, verse 5. And he will continue 40 in two months. Now, that's not to say he's not going to be in place. He could be right now alive in the earth. But he will not be acknowledged as that man of sin or the son of perdition until Matthew 24, 15. But you see, leading up to Matthew 24, 15, we got wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, false promises, a litany of things that come before the revelation of the Antichrist. Because as Jesus, and I teach this, I've got it on DVD, Daniel's 70th week, I believe that's one of the greatest misrepresented, misinterpreted passages of Scripture, Daniel 9 and 27, that's ever been taught upon. But Jesus' ministry was three and one-half years. I believe Christ entered into the 70th week. He got the first 42 months. Then we went into the church age. 
We're taught the church age is between the 69th and 70th weeks. I believe Christ went into the 70th week, got the first half of that week. Then when the Antichrist is revealed, he gets the last half of that week, and that fulfills Daniel's 70th week. I teach it this way. You have 24 hours in one day, but 12 hours are a.m., 12 hours are p.m. It's the same day, but 12 are a.m., 12 are p.m. Once you pass that, you go into the next day, and so it is with that week. Jesus got the uh, a.m. part. Now we're going to watch the Antichrist get the p.m. part is, is the way I teach that. So if people would just get back to the Bible and, and quit leaning on their indoctrination or preconceived ideas, because all they're doing, I, I listen to a lot of prophecy teachers, they're just rehashing the same old garbage that's been hashed for the last 200 years of dispensationalist teachers in prophecy. They don't change. They all stay the same. They're looking for another slant, another line, another phrase. But you've got to get down to what does the Bible say. And then when this all comes to fruition, Revelation 17, 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. When he puts that in those kings' hearts, they're going to surrender their power to the Antichrist. See, these receive power for one hour and they give that power revelation 17 12 they give that power to the antichrist because he comes in in deception duplicity a man of purported peace but he, he's a man of fierce countenance when you see through the veneer he's a man of fierce countenance and interpreting dark sentences and uh, you know says he regards not the god of his fathers nor regards women some people believe he'll be a homosexual uh, because he has no re regard for women. so And I wouldn't doubt that. You know, there's a lot of people that have taught throughout the years that Hitler and Himmler were, were both sodomites. Uh, Himmler said he would kill his mother if Hitler asked him to and would have enjoyed killing her. I mean, these people are going to be so demonically possessed and controlled, it's going to be off the charts, like you said a moment ago. Right. Very well said. Well, for people, and I know a lot of people are intimidated by the book of Revelation. I'm going to talk about our study at the end of the program. I'm also going to talk about how you can get David's book, Revelation 13 Revealed. And when it comes to this pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, the second coming, a second look, I'll talk about that at the end of the program. Such good information. But I want to really talk about where do you think we are in terms of the Antichrist? You said he may be alive. Uh, when that's going to be revealed? And I mean, you're such an extreme, prolific scriptorian. Where do you think we are in the timeline? And what potential scenarios are we looking at before the Antichrist is revealed, in your opinion? Let me say, my scenario is civil war in America, third world war, and then the revelation of the Antichrist. Dr. Henry Spake, one of the founding fathers of the United Nations in 1947, said we have too many committees making too many decisions. We need a man whether he be sent from God or the devil, he said, we need a man to rule the world. Again, 47. So 53, 73 years ago, he made that declaration. So what I'm looking for right now, and I believe we're on the precipice of civil war in America, I'm praying every day that God through the Holy Ghost would throw a blanket, a wet blanket over this nation to lessen, to mitigate the bloodshed. But I believe that's what we're coming down to. It would be a very appropriate time for our enemies to try to seize or try to strike us during this time of vulnerability. And then, I don't want to get way out there, but Israel's going to secure more land. It's, it's amazing they're beginning to make peace with the Middle Eastern Islamic nations. You know, we've, we've heard all this stuff for years. The European common market, a revived or revised Roman Empire, no, I don't believe that. 
Israel's enemies are Islamic. So it's going to be Islamic nations that I believe they will they will join in league or covenant because they want peace. You Saudi Arabia, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, they all know Iran's the threat. And so they're all maneuvering, working together to keep Iran at bay. And so I can see them coming together and saying, hey, we want peace. And, and I tell people right now, we're ready for the revelation of the Antichrist. Why are we not saying peace and safety? For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. We don't see peace and safety right now. Our nation is, 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 in, a, is in a vortex. Our nation is in a very tenuous and dangerous place. And I know there are a lot of people that are patriots, but they're not Christian. You know, I'm patriotic, but I'm a Christian. And I'm waiting for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There will be bloodshed. It, it, this, this nation will go through one of the greatest transformations to get back to some element of diplomacy. It's amazing, and it's only because of the prayers of the saints of God that this thing is held together this long. These people have sold us out, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, my God, Sheila, you've told the people how bad it is. I mean, it's bad, and, and yet the people don't seem to care. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And so that's why I'm spending every day a measure of time and prayer, every day, because I know that only by God's hand and by God's help are, are we going to get through this. But I look for civil war, third world war, and then out of the ruinous heap of trash and garbage and mess, the, the Antichrist will arise as a man of purported peace. But he won't be, because he desires to set up his, through Satan, a satanic kingdom in the earth. It won't happen. That's what the devil's trying to do right now. And for whatever reason, God, I believe, is trying to preempt it, deter it. But it's up to the saints of God to pray us through this time. And this is why we're, we're, we're in one of the most dangerous times. I don't think any of us, I don't, I don't care if even God visited personally any of us and gave us a revelation or gave us a vision, we understand the danger, the peril. Because, you know, I think about how many souls will be lost bloodshed in the street and will die and go out into eternity lost without God. Yeah, you're so right. Just because you're a patriot, that doesn't mean you are a born-again believer, which people seem to think is synonymous. That's very sad. You know, it's amazing to me, though, how the Pope fits into this. I mean, look at statements he made just this week. I've got it up on the screen for folks. Mary is not only the bridge joining us to God, she is more. I mean, this guy is such a devil. He is such a shadow of the false prophet, if there ever was one. And again, it ties back into what you said about Islam. When Pope Francis meets an Iraqi Shiite leader seeking to build ties with Islam, this has happened here in March, folks. He calls for Islam that sees no infidels. I mean, this is straight out of the pits of hell. He really ties into this, too, because the second beast is a man as well, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you know, and that, that to me, that's why the Pope personifies that. Uh, he comes up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon, vicious. I heard a guy the other day, and you know, supposedly a great prophecy teacher, and he talked about fire-breathing dragon. That's mythology. And I thought, how would you dare tie mythology into the dragon here is the devil. He's the old serpent. And in the garden, he was a serpent. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, he's a dragon. 
Revelation 12 and 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Genesis 3, he's a serpent, Revelation, he's a, he's a dragon. How has he gotten to be that large, of that magnitude? By consuming, devouring people. He's a, he's a parasite, he's predatorial, I could use it in a, in a carnal way. He's, Peter said, as a lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He consumes people and souls. And he's, he's enlarged himself because of governments and lobbyists and congressmen and senators and people all throughout the world have submitted to him and his authority. So the wicked people have made the devil greater than he is. So Psalm 34, 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's our responsibility to exalt and magnify and make God bigger and not the devil. The devil's not as big as most people think he is. Because Jesus, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Just the sheer brightness of Christ's coming will consume the Antichrist. He doesn't have to do anything. He's going to be so illuminated, it will destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. So this other entity, beast, man, going to come up out of the earth, Again, as I said, is the false prophet. We know he's false. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and he causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Another profound point. Deadly wound is healed. I'm going to call his name, John Hagee. He said the Antichrist is going to be shot and be raised from the dead. There is absolutely no Bible that says that. In my book, Revelation 13 Revealed, I decree it is an asemic stroke. don't have time because it would take me a long time to, to declare all of that. But it's a stroke. So if he has a stroke, a stroke can be healed. But if you're dead, you've got to be raised literally from the dead. And the devil can't do that because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, I teach that from Zechariah. 11:17. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. That's the Antichrist. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up. His right eye shall be utterly darkened. People who receive or have an ischemic stroke will have paralysis in one of their limbs or both on one side, and they can go blind in that side concerning that particular eye. That's exactly what the Bible says. His arm and his right eye shall be clean, dried up. His right eye shall be utterly darkened, meaning he goes blind. But it says his deadly wound, the wound was bad enough to kill him, but it didn't because he's healed and not raised from the dead. And so the Antichrist is going to be undergirded by the religious forum, falsehood. That's the harlot church. They're going to embrace one another. By the way, the harlot church is the substitutionary church for the true church, which is the body of Christ. That's why the harlot church is in the female pronoun, and the masculine, the church, the body of Christ, is in the he, Christ. If we are saved, we are baptized into the body of Christ, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. So this deadly wound is going to be healed, and then because of this, the false prophet is going to coerce people to make an image likened to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Remember, it's a wound, and he, and he lived through it. 
And then he, see, calls with all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive the mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Again, there's three entities, mark, name, number. If you can identify one, you should be able to identify the other two. We've got to remember these things, because if we don't remember these things, we will believe something that's not true and be led away in another measure of fallacy. Well, and let's also remember that it's not okay to take the mark, whatever that is, the mark. I mean, we know, again, a lot of people are saying this is the mark. Definitely this is a prototype, a precursor for those in the beginning that didn't hear that. This is definitely setting us up to, it's acclimating us to the mark, but we're going to definitely know when something's the mark. And Pastor Langford, for people that think it's just okay, well, you know, is it okay if I take the mark to feed my family? No, it's not, is it? No, no. If you take the mark of the beast, you're eternally damned. See, there's something that happens whether it's the mark itself, and I know the nanotechnology can change the body. You remember Hugo Daguerre's taught about that. They can inject in your body a computer, and it goes in there and it eats the cholesterol out of your arteries, and all of those things. I understand all that, and that's, that's the fear of man becoming part man and part transhuman computer, whatever you want to call it. But that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is, in essence, selling your soul, like Esau. He sold his birthright for a, a, a bowl of beans. He just didn't care about his birthright, and he was he was willing to die for it. He said, "I'm going to die if you don't give me something to eat, Isaac." Uh, so we, we we see how easy people will sell out, and so if you take the mark, the name, or the number, you've sealed your doom because you've pledged your allegiance now to the Antichrist slash Satan. You've cast your lot with them, and you must cast your lot with Christ. And that's why Revelation 12, 11, and they loved not their lives unto the death. If it meant death, it didn't matter. They didn't love their lives so much that they were not willing to, to die for Christ. They are willing to die for Christ. They loved not their lives unto the death. In other words, they were willing to die for what they believed in. You know, people are going to be, see, that's, that's going to be the great test. Here, here, here's the patience of the saints. When all of this this stuff begins to happen, begins to take place. We're going to have to learn to be patient. Remember Luke twenty-one nineteen: in your patience possess ye your souls. So you lose your patience, you lose your souls. I didn't go on there in Revelation 14, but if you go on down to verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So you're going to have to keep your faith to the end. I've preached this many times. The only thing you take with you into the kingdom of God is your faith. You take your faith with you, and your faith takes you in. That's all you have, and that's your belief in what Jesus did on the cross. His vicarious work on the cross paid man's sin's debt, and that's how we become redeemed, through repentance. But he tells us, here is the patience of the saints. You're going to have to be patient through all of this. Wow, well said. And what did Peter allude to in Acts 4.12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Today is the day of salvation, folks. 2 Corinthians 6.2 Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I truly believe there's a cutoff point. Folks, don't wait for that. Now, Pastor Langford, I mean, of course, as you look around, you know, you look at who's running America. I don't even know. We've got bumbling Beijing Biden. You've got that demon Jezebel 
Paris. COVID insanity is acquiescing. They're talking about in parts, you know, the third wave and we need to have tougher measures. Even Deuteronomy 2828. I've never actually heard another pastor ever make it make sense. Deuteronomy 2828. There will come a time when people go ravening mad. Complete insanity, madness. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So it's so important that we need to be pressing into God like never before. Our faith will have to be strong. How does faith come? Well, I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. I get it all the time. I get the emails. It's discouraging looking around. There was a guy that shot himself on Zoom. I don't know if you saw that just recently. Young kids are committing suicide. I mean, this is terrible. But how does faith come? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Folks, you've got to be in your word. And before I give out all your information and talk about the books that I want people to get, Pastor Langford, if you would, do us the honor of praying here. Because listen, there's no other more important time. Today is the day of salvation, isn't it, Pastor? Amen. You know, David asked the question in Psalms 24, 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So the two important things there are clean hands and a pure heart. Your hands deal with your works physically, whether you're using your hands to do evil things or to do good things, and your heart is your spirit, your soul. You, you, it must be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So clean hands and a pure heart is emphasized throughout the scriptures. Let's pray for people who are lost. Maybe there are those who are backslidden today. You've drifted away from God. I was a backslider my late teens into my early 20s. I drifted away from God, being called of God to preach when I was 12 years of age. Went out in the world and done a lot of bad things. But God is a God of redemption. He's also a God of restitution. He restored my soul. And he can do the same for everyone listening today. If you'll do one thing, and that's repent. And the two most precious words in the Bible are redemption and repentance. They go hand in hand. You can't be redeemed if you don't repent. If you do repent, you can be redeemed. It takes both of them. Heavenly Father, as we come humbly before your throne today, we pray for every listener, those who are dabbling in sin, those who have lost their way, they've lost being faithful to your word and to the leadership of your Holy Spirit. I pray the convicting power of the Holy Ghost would touch their hearts and their minds, that God, they would be led. Romans 2, 4, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It is a wonderful and a good thing to be led to an altar of repentance. And Lord, we thank you. We can repent anywhere, in a Walmart, in a grocery store, riding down the road, wherever we are. We can repent because you said if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thus we put our faith in what you did on the cross. You paid our sins debt when you shed your blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. Now, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can be cleansed and made whole and be made completely perfect through the blood of the Lamb, not in our flesh, but in our spirit we can be made perfect now. The perfection of our flesh will be made when we put on immortality and we put on incorruption. Now, Father God, again, bless this program and use it for your honor, your praise, and your glory. Give us much fruit and many souls from it. 
We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a powerful prayer. Well, Pastor Langford, in the last part of the show, very quickly, will you please give out your information, your website, and how folks can get these books that we reference, Revelation 13 Revealed. That is a must-have book. And The Second Coming, A Second Look. Pastor Langford shares his experience and how he came to that and the price that cost him, too. We're talking about the difference between pre-tribulation rapture and a post-tribulation. And I think it's just an outstanding... it's one of the best books on the subject to be really honest i think everybody should really get a copy of it and anything new on the horizon and also how people can follow you as well give out all that information please sir if they'll just go to our website the you got to put the word the in front of it the voice of evangelism.com all the information is there our youtube videos we're trying to get now on rumble because Uh, YouTube is going to clamp down on all of us. But I've also got some new material out. I've got on DVD, Revelation 12. I've got on DVD, Revelation 20, The Great White Throne Judgment and the Lake of Fire. I also have now on DVD, Daniel's 70th week. I hadn't redone that probably in 20 plus years. And over the summer, the Lord just kept compelling me to begin to get this stuff on DVD to help people. They can pause it, look at the scriptures and search them because there's a profound verse And this is what got me to teach Revelation 20. Verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And that phrase struck me as never before, heaven and earth fled away. So where did it go? Where did it go? What happened? That's the cremation of the earth at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And before we go into literal eternity, the eighth millennium, there's going to be the great white throne judgment. And then we see in Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I tile that in in Genesis 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3. A lot of people believe 2 Peter chapter 3 is the coming of the Lord. No, that's the day of God. Because Peter said, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's Revelation 20, verse 11. God helped me to put all that together in just a matter of days, because I, I never could figure all of that out. But to take you back to Genesis 1, 2 Peter 3, 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That's what you see in Genesis 1. Then the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, and God said, Let there be light. And he took the earth out of the water that was then in the water, took it out. And that's what we're in right now. So it was flooded. It was deluged by the eruption of Satan's rebellion in heaven. So we go through all of that, and we try to make common sense out of it to help people to understand. But our website thevoiceofevangelism.com. Everything is there, the programming. We're on WWCR. We're on about 20 other radio stations. And then we, my daughter and I, we do a program called Talking It Out. And we mostly take people's questions, and uh, she kind of helps me co-host that. And we try to explain the questions that people are asking about the Bible to help people better understand what's going on. That's fantastic that you guys are doing that because a lot of people have so many questions. I would love for people to reach out to Pastor Langford and you know what? Ask your questions. If anybody can answer biblical questions, there's really no one that I know except maybe a handful of men that really have a powerful understanding of the Word of God. And David Langford is one of those men. So, Pastor Langford, thank you so much for coming on the program and please do come back and see us again soon. We'll be more than happy to come anytime and share the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Pastor. Folks, that was Pastor David Langford, thevoiceofevangelism.com. The information is not only up on your screen if you're watching by video, but it's also linked in the description below. And speaking of Revelation, this is the last week. So if you are listening to this show, you only have exactly one more week to get signed up for the Book of Revelation Bible study. Even though we're on chapter six, we've decided to open it up because there's so many people that could benefit from going through the entire book of Revelation. We're going to tackle the entire book and we're early enough into it that you can watch the other videos and get caught up. I really hope you'll join us. So hop on over there to SheilaZolinsky.com. You'll see training and just click on that and sign up for that book of Revelation Bible study. And listen, I really want to get your feedback from this show. So reach out to us. Let us know you heard us on the program. And if you have any questions or comments or thoughts on what we talked about today, we want to hear from you. I know this is a huge, huge issue for people. Is the COVID vaccine the mark? Pastor Langford brought up a really such a good point in this show. God is not going to fool us into something that's going to damn our soul or even let us be a part of trickery. There's a whole litany of folks out there that are dumb. You know, Steve has a phrase, dumb unto death. Well, it could be. But I just know that this is the stage one. You know, I love that word he used, the prototype of what's to come. Whether it is or isn't, here's the point, folks. You need to run screaming from anybody promoting that jab. And that includes uh, Mr. Franklin Graham and Beth Moore and Frances Swaggart said that her and her husband, of course, you all know Jimmy Swaggart and John Hagee and Joel Osteen and every other mega pastor on the planet. Well, of course, they are promoting this because they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's a fact. You know, we've been calling these guys out for over a decade. I think anybody that is telling you to take this or, or that Jesus would take it, run screaming from any pastor that is pushing this. Listen, don't just take Sheila's word for it. You take it to the Lord. And again, I think we're getting prepped. So something to think about. I'm glad everybody tuned in tonight. Be sure to be listening Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Central, right here on WWCR, and those listening to the podcast, you can go to SheilaZelinski.com, listen on the menu bar, and there's many ways, including Rumble, because I'm once again kicked off YouTube. So, yep, my days are numbered over there, as Pastor Langford said. We'll see everybody real soon. Good night, and God bless you.